0: Listen to this word of God. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wondrous acts, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he has pronounced. O descendants of Abraham, his servant. O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons, till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The rulers of people set him free. He made him master of his household. Ruler over all he possessed, to discipline his princes as he pleased, and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob lived as an alien in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foe, whose hearts he turned to hate his people. To conspire against his servants... He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his miraculous signs among them, his wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark, for had they not rebelled against his words, he turned their waters into blood, causing the fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs, which went up into the bedrooms of the rulers. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats, throughout all their country. He turned their rain into hail with lightning throughout their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, grasshoppers without number. They ate up every green thing in their land, ate up the produce of their soil. Then he struck down all the firstborn in the land, and the first fruits of all their manhood. He brought out Israel laden with silver and gold, and from among their tribes no one faltered. Egypt was glad when they left, because dread of Israel had fallen on them. He spread out a cloud as a covering, and a fire to give light at night. They asked, and he brought them quail, and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and water gushed out, Like a river, it flowed in the desert, for he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise ye the Lord." He that hears, hath ears to hear, let him hear this word of God.
1: You have no doubt sung this song standing on the covenants in different forms. Most of you are familiar with a form that says, standing on the promises, right. Others have hummed one secretly that goes seated on the prim- premises, or the premises. But neither of those seems to be the best way to express the ideas that are captured in this particular song. It is standing on the promises, of, or standing on the covenants that we're singing about. The promises, as a matter of fact, are coming to us in the form of the covenants that God has made. Now tonight we're going to look at the unity of God's covenants. The unity of God's covenants. Let us pray. How gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that before the foundation of the world, you made promises. You made commitments within yourself, that you would fulfill in time and history. We thank you that as your people came into the world, you gave to each one the promises that they needed to hear. Help each one of us, O gracious God, tonight to lay hold of the great gifts that you have given to us and to believe that you are working all things to our good and to your glory according to the commitments of the covenants that you have made. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Now there is a place down in Anniston, Alabama, where they make steel plates and then press a certain form into those steel plates. It is my understanding that they use approximately 6,000 tons of pressure on those steel plates to see that they conform to the image that the designer has planned. Now, little me, I wasn't wise enough to ask whether that's 6,000 tons of pressure per square inch or per square foot or per square mile of steel plate. But in any case, it sounds like a lot of pressure that we're talking about, 6,000 tons of pressure. Now, if I were a part of one of those steel plates, I would do my very best to conform to the image that that plate wished to stamp me into. For if I overlapped a little bit here or there, I am afraid I wouldn't survive so well. Well, you might say that God's covenants are like the pressure that is brought to bear on those red hot steel plates. God's covenants are his enforcement of a form upon the world. Now, if you are in conformity with that pressure, then you're going to be prospered and blessed in everything that you do. But if in one area or another area of your life you're out of conformity with the covenants that God has made, then the pressure is going to be brought on you. As you know, in our modern society, there is an effort to break free, completely free, of God's ordinances concerning the marriage relationship. And every time a person steps out of line, the pressure of the covenantal arrangements that God has made in the world that he has established are brought to bear in that circumstance. God has established certain work patterns in the world. Six days of labor and one day of rest. Every time you dare to break that pattern, just be sure that the 6,000 tons of pressure that God has put in those covenants are going to come to bear on your life. Someone has said, Well, the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. It is advisable that you understand the covenants of God, the form and shape that your life is to take so that you may not be pressured into a conformity to an image that you're not prepared to get into shape for. Now tonight, the question that we're looking at is the question of the unity of God's covenants. We saw last time that God's covenants extend from the creation of the world until the consummation of the world. A covenant was made with Adam in creation. A subsequent covenant was made with Noah. Another covenant was made with Abraham. Another covenant with Moses in Israel. Another covenant with David. Then a promise was made with respect to a new covenant. And you and I live under the blessings and promises of the new covenant. Now the question is, how do these various covenants relate to one another? Do these covenants succeed one another, replace one another in history, or do these covenants build upon one another? It's very important for you to understand whether there is a unity that brings all of these covenants to bear in your life, or whether you can forget about them some of those old covenants of the past, and be what is often called a New Testament Christian. A New Covenant Christian. I don't worry about the Old Testament, some people say. I'm a New Testament Christian. Of course, those people don't realize that at least 5% of the New Testament is made of explicit quotation from the Old Testament, that approximately 20% of the New Testament is made of allusion to the Old Testament. A New Testament Christian, a New Covenant Christian, well, if you understand what the covenant, the new covenant is all about, you will understand that what you want to be is a biblical Christian to see that all of the covenants are related to us. Well, let's look at these successive covenants and see how they relate to one another. Do, and this is the question, and it's, it's shaped in many different ways And it has a tremendous effect on how you read your Bible and how you relate particularly to the Old Testament. But the question is essentially, do the successive covenants of God replace one another, one canceling out the previous covenants, or do they build the one upon the other? Do we have something of an isolationistic compartmentalization How about that? That's a a pretty good phrase there. Do we have a circumstance of isolationistic compartmentalization in the Bible so that one period and phase of history is there, and then it comes to an end, and another replaces it? Or do we have something like an organic growth, an acorn that is replaced by a sapling, that is replaced by a full-grown tree bearing fruit, now, you can kind of tell that I've prejudiced the question already. I think you can see the way I'm leaning as this question regard is concerned. But the, but the heart of the question, the, the place that it com- will come to clearest focus, is where you have a change of covenants. Look at those places in the Bible where there is a transition from one covenant to another. And what do you find? Do you find indicators in the Bible that the successive covenants cast out the previous covenants, the ones that follow, or do you find that there's a building process? Well, let's look first at three of the principal covenants of the Old Testament, three covenants that are often contrasted with one another, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, and the covenant with David. Look at those three covenants. We know that there was a covenant that God made with Abraham. We know that God made a covenant with Moses and we know that he made a covenant with David. Now, how do these three covenants relate to one another? Well, let's look first at the place in history where a transition is being made from the provisions of the Abrahamic covenant to what God is going to do with Israel under the Mosaic covenant. Look at Exodus chapter 23, chapter 2. Verses 23 through 25. Exodus chapter 2. Verses 23 and 25. The scripture says, during that long period. Now that long period was the long period of Israel's being down in Egypt. God had promised to Abraham that he was to possess the land. But here for the past 400 years, Israel has not been in the land. They've been down in Egypt. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. Now stop just a moment. Why was there this long period of history in which under the covenants, God had promised to his people a land flowing with milk and honey? And instead of having a land flowing with milk and honey, what did they have? They had slavery. They had oppression. They had murderers taking their babies from their mother's arms. That's what they were experiencing instead of a land flowing with milk and honey. Why for 400 years did God's people have to have that kind of experience? Well... The covenants tell you, look at Genesis chapter 15, when God established his covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 15. Here is the point of God's formally establishing his covenant with Abraham. Now look at verse 13. Genesis 15, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Why did Israel have to spend 400 years in captivity in the oppression of Egypt? Because it was a part of the covenant. It was a part of the original bond that God established with Abraham and he is true to his word. But you ask a little further, but why did he make his people go through that? Well, read a little bit further in the covenant document, verse 15. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace. That's Abraham. You will die. You will be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God had a people in covenant relationship with himself. God promised to those people that they were to live in a land flowing with milk and honey. They were to be the blessed people on the face of the earth. And yet for 400 years, they had to live in that terrible condition Of slavery in Egypt, why? Because the God of the covenant was long-suffering and patient toward the Amorites. The Amorites were very wicked people, but God was going to extend more mercy to them. God was going to give to them for four hundred years the opportunity to repent, to turn from their sin, and to call upon Him for salvation that they too might be a part of the covenant people of God and receive the blessings of God. The covenant promises were there, but God had a greater program than Israel could have conceived. Now, a lot of times you're in a press of circumstances. Praise God that we are not in a land of slavery today, but all sorts of pressures are brought upon God's people. I know of a situation of a young man that was graduating with a degree in hospital administration. He was given a job. He had a contract that was signed. And then the boss learned that he was a Christian. And they tore up the contract and said, find a job somewhere else. Some of you know of experiences of oppression and sorrow. Some of you know of the trials that you and your friends and your family have gone through. Even in this present circumstance, when you are God's covenant people, why is it? Because God is long-suffering toward the wicked. God is giving a little bit more time for sinners to repent. Just as God extended his grace for 2,000 years from the day of Jesus Christ until today, and many Christians have suffered for many years in those circumstances, so now it's your turn. What should you do in these circumstances? Be patient and wait for the covenants that were made with Abraham are still outstanding and still waiting to be fulfilled. You must learn from the covenants and the experience of God's people in the covenants in the past to know how to cope with your present circumstance, the present tension of sensing that God has given you great promises and yet wondering why, O Lord, Don't I see greater fulfillment of those promises? But looking back at Exodus chapter 2, this is the time of transition. Moses is around. Moses is there. The covenant is about to be established. And it says in Exodus 2, 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up. To God God heard their groaning and he did what? He remembered what? The covenant. He remembered that bond of life and death, that pledge that he had made with Abraham. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned for them. God doesn't forget his covenants. And in this point of transition, you don't see the Abrahamic covenant being set aside and replaced by the Mosaic covenant. No, instead you see a building process. Now look at one other passage, Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, verses 4 and following. God says again to Moses, God says in Exodus 6, verse 4, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. The Exodus, the Passover, which was a covenantal meal under the Mosaic covenant, was celebrated under the aegis of the Abrahamic covenant. So how do the two covenants relate to one another? It's not that the Abrahamic covenant is set aside and replaced by the Mosaic covenant, but it is in the context of the Abrahamic covenant that the Mosaic covenant is established. Now let's move on to the next point of transition when you move from the Mosaic covenant to the Davidic covenant from the Mosaic Covenant to the Davidic Covenant. What do you find? Do you find the covenant with David replacing, setting aside the Mosaic Covenant? Or do you find the Davidic Covenant building upon the foundation of the Mosaic Covenant? Well, look at 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. In this chapter, you have the, Significant hour in which a succession of kings is being established in Israel. In the days of the judges, a judge would live for a while and then he would die, but his sons would not succeed him. But now here is the case in which David is being succeeded by his son Solomon. And that was the essence and the uniqueness, the distinctiveness of the covenant that God established with David. Now notice how this transition is described here. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 and following. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all flesh, he said. So be strong and show yourself a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways, keep his decrees, commands, laws, and statutes as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. What's the relation of the Davidic covenant to the Mosaic covenant? Does the Davidic covenant set aside the Mosaic covenant? No, the phrase that you read over and over in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Exodus is reference to the laws, the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that God has given. And right here it is said, if the blessings of the covenant that God had established with David are to be passed on to his son, he must observe the provisions of the Mosaic covenant. So how do the covenants relate to one another? They're building the one upon the other. The acorn contains everything. It grows into the twig or into the sprout, and that ultimately eventuates in the full-grown tree. And let's look at one more point of transition, a crucial point of transition, which is the point of transition from these old covenants, the covenant with Abraham, Moses and David to the new covenant. What happens then? What happens when there is this crucial transition point from the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, and the Davidic covenants in reference to the new covenant? Well, look at Ezekiel chapter 37. As Ezekiel the prophet anticipates the establishment of the new covenant. You know, you often have this picture given that you have conditional and unconditional promises. Conditional and unconditional covenants in the Bible. It is suggested that the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. Abraham didn't have to do anything. And then the Mosaic covenant comes along and there are all sorts of oppressive laws and statutes and ordinances and commandments. And these are bad. It's hard. And then you come to the Davidic covenant, and it's a covenant of grace and promise and without condition again. It's a tempting way to read your Bible. And then it suggested, well, the new covenant, it's not one of those harsh covenants like the Mosaic covenant of law. No, it's one of those unconditional covenants like the covenant made with Abraham and the covenant made with David. Well... If you've noticed these points of transition, do you feel a tension between the covenants? Some of them being unconditional and some of them being conditional? No, as a matter of fact, if you look at the Abrahamic covenant closely, you can see that the very same requirements of walking according to the law of God were laid upon Abraham as they were upon Israel at Sinai. In in Genesis chapter 17, Abraham is explicitly told, you walk before me in perfectness and then I will keep my covenant with you. You walk before me in complete, wholehearted devotion to me and then I will bless you. When Abraham was first called, he was given a command. You get out of your own homeland and you go to the land that I will show you. What would have happened if Abraham hadn't obeyed? He wouldn't have received the blessings of the covenant. And with respect to David, it's clearly there. If your son keeps the commandments that I have given, the commandments of Moses, then the blessings will be upon him. It's not a question of unconditional versus conditional covenants. That's not the the division in the Bible. It's a question of certainty of fulfillment of the covenants and their conditions or uncertainty of fulfillment. And the great promise of the new covenant is that there is a certainty given that on your behalf, someone will fulfill all the conditions of the covenant, both for you and in you. Both for you, Christ died, and in you, Christ lives, enabling you to fulfill the conditions of the covenant so that you can receive the blessings. Understand the difference? There's a great difference here It's like two lines that first may be very close to one another, but then they begin to part the longer, the farther you go down the line. So if you think that you're under an unconditional relationship with God without any conditions of obedience laid on your life, then you're going to go one way. And if you understand the covenants are unified so that all the conditions of the old covenants are binding upon you, those conditions properly understood, then you're going to go another way in your life. And those two roads are going to lead to two wholly different ways of living and understanding the Christian life. Well, let's look and see how the new covenant, according to the Old Testament prophecy, relates to those older covenants. Look at Ezekiel chapter 24, chapter 37. Ezekiel 37, verse 24 and following. 37, verse 24. My servant David, what covenant is that? That's the Davidic covenant. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. What a beautiful picture. The people of God unified under a loving shepherd who is King David. And notice what follows in that same verse. They will follow my laws. And be careful to keep my decrees. What covenant is that? That's the Mosaic covenant. He's talking about the new covenant now. The writing of the law of God in the heart. But he says the people under the new covenant are also under the Mosaic covenant. Verse 25. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob. Which covenant is that? That's the Abrahamic covenant. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Now verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. That's the new covenant. The everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I will put my sanctuary among them forever. What a beautiful picture. The covenants building to a climax. Building to a climax. How do you relate to the covenants of God? You relate to each and every one of them according to the pattern of scripture. By faith you are a son of Abraham. By faith you are heir Not to a physical, material land located over there on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, but the fulfillment and consummation of what that was to symbolize and represent. You are the heir of the land flowing with milk and honey, which is to come one day with the new heavens and the new earth created. What is your relation to the Mosaic Covenant? Christ is in you. He writes his law, the same law that was given to Moses on your heart so that you love to honor your father and your mo- your mother you love to fulfill the commandments of God because in the new covenant those commands have been made a part of your heart what is your relation to the davidic covenant well 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells that every christian every christian is a little david and every christian is made a king and every christian is made to inherit the promises of in his domain being kingly in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us praise God that there is a unity of the covenants. And as we consider that unity, let us remember that ultimately the unity of the covenants is found in that unified theme, which is I shall be your God and you shall be my people that unified theme that is found in each and every one of the covenants, I shall be your God and you shall be my people, finds its consummation in Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. For he is the yea and the amen of all of God's covenants. And as you look at the person of Jesus Christ, you can see that he is the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. He is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. He is the king that fulfills the promises given to David. And by faith, he lives in your heart. There is the perfect unity of people and the God of the covenant. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you and praise you that You have established a wondrous plan that stretches over the generations. We have questions. We lack an understanding. We need direction. We need help to be bound by faith to you. We need perception as to where we are today in your covenant plan. Help each one of us to see clearly Jesus Christ Let us understand him as the Emmanuel of God, the one who always is with us. For we ask in his name, amen. Let us stand for the benediction. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit abide upon you all now and forevermore. Amen.